In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. So, Ryan Roxy here. Welcome to In the Trenches. And I can't think of a better guy to be in the trenches with me today. I have Phil X. Welcome. What's up? We've actually been talking quite a lot. We talked on the bus. We talked at the hotel. We talked. At, we've been talking now. Just setting up. Phil is visiting here in Stockholm, so we've actually done a one-on-one interview. I know that most of the interviews I do on the podcast are via Skype, but you actually have us face to face, and we were face to face much earlier, taking the bus, showing him around downtown Stockholm, and now we're here at the Bandit Studios. They've been very nice enough to. Uh, Thank you, Peter, for loaning it out to the studio. And we're here to talk about Phil X and all things Phil X. Wow. How about that? <laughs> I'm ready. Are you? Yeah. Well, you're Canadian. You're always ready. Wow. See, I, I do my research, or my research team does their research and then gives it to me. I know, but what does Canadian have specifically to do with ready? Well, I think the Canadians are always ready. They're always ready for, I guess, anything that, like, quick movements from the States. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. And there's a lot of quick movements these days happening. But Excuse you me. do now live in, uh, you were telling me, Las Vegas. Yeah, but and not for long. That's okay. But you are sort of a United States I'm a transplant. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and uh, moved to L.A. in 97 with a dream. Yeah. Dream of being a guitar player. It seems to have worked out. I think it worked out all right. It has. I mean, just going over quickly some of the bands you've been associated with i think most people nowadays and this is what you're out here in stockholm playing uh you're playing guitar for john bon Jovi. yeah and but you've also been associated with many different bands there's some i i look at some canadians in there yeah there's some and canadians some n- there. northwest i i you know probably the most popular of the canadians uh would be avril lavigne yeah play guitar for her well i mean uh I- Recorded on a record for her. I guess I was a studio guy in L.A. And and the way the snowball rolls um, is you start on one project and then it's another project and then it's Avril Lavigne. Yeah. So, you know, and in another studio, it, was, uh, it started with uh, Tommy Lee, Methods of Mayhem in 99, and then it was Rob Zombie and then Alice Cooper, the Brutal Planet thing. Yeah, I, I, I always say this to people that I think whatever gig you're at... As long as you're cool about it, yeah. it'll lead you to your next gig. People associated with that project will more than likely help you with the next project. Yes. Um, and sometimes it's the producer. You know, I mean, it's. I always put it like this. Like the whole Tom Lee thing happened was I was actually painting the producer's garage, Scott Humphrey. Huh. And, and I always put it like, well, they needed a guitar player and Scott knew I played. So he said, let's get Phil in here, we'll, you know, play some guitar. Brush or roll on? What were you doing? Well, <laughs> brush, kind of... brush for the corners. <laughs> okay. And roll it. on for the walls. And <laughs> now, um, masking, did you do the masking as well? I didn't do a lot of masking. Okay. All right. Um, but the the uh, the obvious uh, situation is delivering. If someone says, hey, can you come in and play guitar on this? You have to deliver. Yeah. Like if, you know, because I played one, one song and Tommy was like, dude, you got to play on the whole record. And I'm like, great, awesome. But if I would have walked in and not delivered, yeah. then I would have been back to painting. And Being they prepared. Would, they'd be still looking for somebody. Yeah. I've actually learned your guitar parts over the years. I'll get into that <laughs> a little bit later. But I okay. I mean, I wish we had some guitars here right now in the studio. I mean, all we have is cigar box three string, but maybe you can even show me with that. But I've been learning your guitar solo for the Alice Cooper 
fans out there that are listening, Brutal Planet, that guitar solo is actually a Phil X guitar solo, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. And I've been playing it wrong for many, many years. <laughs> and many, many DVDs. <laughs> but I didn't realize, you guys split it, right? You take the first half and Nita takes the second half. We do in this new version of it the last time we right. played it. You're right. Yeah, but maybe, she, maybe at she one point... She doesn't do it right either. <laughs> well, okay, good. Well, two wrongs make it still wrong, I guess. <laughs> but I also saw on your list of, I mean, God, the names are great. I mean, the... Chris Cornell. Oh, dude, that was amazing. A great experience. I, I, I hate, <clears throat> I hate being the guy that, uh, you know, hey, we're all in the studio. Hey, can we get a photo? I hate that, but I'm really regret not getting a pick with Cornell. Yeah, because we we only did one song together, and it was like he he did an entire record with Timbaland, and the record company was like, um, you're a rock singer. We should do a rock version of the single. And so they went to Howard Benson to produce, and I, at the time I was his guitar player. Right. Um, anytime, anytime he needed one. And he said, hey, we're doing a Chris Cornell song, you in? I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> so, I'm like Donkey Kong. Yeah, and then yeah. I was there, and then, um, and then Chris came in, and we, we got to hang a bit. And, and, uh, and then the next time, it was funny, the next time I saw him, I came in, and he was there talking about uh, either doing another project or something. I'm going, hey, how's it going? He goes, hey, we just mixed the song. I made sure they turned up the guitar solo. And I'm just thinking, Fuck. Thank you, Chris. I, excuse me, my language. I, my, I just heard that from Chris Cornell. This is a podcast. You can do whatever you want. All right. It was awesome to hear that from Chris Cornell. That is cool. Yeah. He he was very understated, quiet, but super cool. Yes. The, 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 the one time <clears throat> that I was able to meet him, I was in a band up in Seattle called Sweetwater and managed by the same, uh, It was he was married to the manager at the time. Okay. And um, <clears throat> we were um, at a record release party and he right. came up and he said, good job. But those two words to me, good job coming from Chris Cornell was... Yeah, it's always the source, right? It's golden, right. Yeah. You know, you're in a club and you're playing your ass off and then when the, you know, a drunk guy walks up and goes, yeah, you're pretty good. <laughs> it's not the same thing as if one of your heroes walks up and goes, wow, that was, that was awesome. We were just talking about that. One of your heroes uh, being guitarist Uli Roth. Yes. And he and you just recently met your guitarist hero. And what did he say to you when you know you guys met? Well, it's um, well. The funny thing is, is you meet in a in a in like he doesn't know who you are, and right. you and you're like, oh my god, it's Uli Roth. You know, and this is the guy we I've been listening Germany to my whole life. Yeah. The, you know, everybody got something from this guy. Even Eddie Van Halen. I, you know, I can point out a lick at the end of the Ice Cream Man solo that he got from Sales of Sharon. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So, because I totally geek out. I love Eddie, and I love Uli, and I love, you know, there's so many players that we grew up on. But um, when, when you know, it was by chance that Uli heard me play, and, and then um, Pete Thorne was at the same event in Mannheim, um, Guitar Summit, and he wanted to play Immigrant Song, and the bass player was going to sing it, and... Um, but he, he had lost his voice. So I'm like, okay, Pete, I'll, I'll sing Immigrant Song. So to a full theater, I'm holding my phone, reading the lyrics and singing Immigrant Song. But you know it. It's, it's sort of in your it's backbone. In but you're Canadian. But you you're ready. Yes, you're Like ready. what we said in the beginning. You're ready. So, But it's Uli Roth backstage going, holy shit, this guy can sing. Right. Right? right. So then we hang out for a bit and we exchange numbers and I'm right, right, you're going you're gonna to call me. Right. You know, but I land. It's funny because it was a good week. I land. I left Mannheim, Germany, to fly to uh, the Bahamas to jam with Billy Gibbons, 
So that wow. was that was a good week. That's like but, Spicoli. Just jet on over to London and jam with the Stones. <laughs> jet on over to Bahamas and jam. <laughs> right. But in 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 my transition of uh, travel, I was at uh, Miami waiting for my luggage, and I get a text from Uli Roth saying, "Call me." So I, I get back to the hotel and I call him and I say, "Hey, what's up?" He goes, "Hey, do you wanna? I'm playing some shows in Japan in January. Do you wanna be a guest?" And I'm like, define guest. <laughs> and he's like, well, I want you to get up and sing some, sing and play some Scorpion songs from the 70s. And I'm like, oh, man. I'm in. I'm yeah. totally in. Yeah. And and it was from that point to January, I'm getting the odd text. Like, I'll be going throughout my day, like, from throwing bananas into a, a shopping cart, and you get a text from Uli Roth, and it's like, how about singing Virgin Killer? And I'm like, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Hey, for those of you keeping track at home, Uli Roth and David Lee Roth, no relation. Just so you know. Exactly. Right? I don't want anyone scratching their head over there. But I, I heard that that story, it was like basically a two for one when you actually got there too because who else did you meet when you... Rudolf Schecker. There you go. So he came in, he did two of the three shows and Rudy Lenner, who was the drummer before Herman Rarebell, so he played on In Trance and Virgin Killer. So he was there and he played on, on the same songs that I played. So there was... Like I actually, if you if you look at my Instagram, which is PhilX1111, and you scroll down, you will see a picture of the Virgin Killer album cover, and I posted my face on Klaus Mains' body. Because <laughs> really, really bad Photoshop, or was it just? Uh... It was on my phone, so it's crude. <laughs> yeah, okay. But at the same time, not as I'm good like, as your painting skills. I'm like, I'm playing with these guys tonight. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was really excited. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we were talking earlier before the camera started rolling about what is your favorite uh, Scorpions album cover. And, and I remember just the ones with the forks in yeah. the guy's eyes. That was Blackout, right? Yes. And then, but then obviously my favorite one was, was like the one with the bubble gum, bubble gum on the boob. boob. <laughs> bubble gum boob. <laughs> bubble gum boob. Forever be known as. So, um, Love Drive. Great record. Yeah, it is. That was the, is. the first record after. We have Uli. gone on an Uli Roth Scorpions tangent, but I want I want to sort of steer it a little bit back to stuff that you're doing because all that experience, all those bands that you've been jamming with, have basically brought you up to, and it's been longer than I I didn't realize it until the research guys gave me this news. You've been in John Bon Jovi for quite some time. Well, um, the first. Swing was 2011. Yeah, 2011. Yeah, and it was um, it was a month. It was 13 shows. Okay. And was that was that all that was promised with you? No, it was like I what was promised was you might come out, you might not. They were like, that doesn't sound like a promise. <laughs> it, it sounds more like a a flip of a coin. But it was you a, obviously it, did it something kinda, right. It kind of what well the, the, what happened was um, th there was a couple of situations where you know Richie <clears throat> had a hard time walking on stage or something happened and John was like I don't want this to be a problem so yeah. I need to have a guy ready to go in the wings so um, they found me and asked me to learn a, a two and a half hour show and to be ready. Yeah. But you might come out, you might not. I gotcha. So, uh, but 2011, April 14, I got a call from John, and he said, uh, I might need you in May. I want to put you on hold, but maybe you could come to New York and rehearse a couple of days at the end of April. And the day that I flew to New York to rehearse for two days was the day that Richie went into rehab. Right. 
So it went from on hold to in, and your first show is the New Orleans Jazz Fest in two days in front of 50,000 people. Okay. No pressure so at all. So thrown into the fire. <laughs> I, I love it when I hear stories like that when people's first gig is that monumental. Yeah. I mean, I, the only other story I have, well, I have a couple stories that can compare. That's pretty big. The other one for my time was I played with a guy named Gilby Clark. Yes. And uh, before we had played in a band together, we played in a band called Candy. And then I was living in New York and he calls me on the phone. He goes, hey, Ryan, I'm playing uh, New York tomorrow or I'm actually playing Boston tonight. I'm like, I'd heard nothing. This was before the internet. Right. I go, that's cool. Where are you playing, dude? You know, expecting a club. He goes, I'm playing Boston Garden tonight and Madison Square Garden tomorrow because I'm in Guns N' Roses. And at that time, it's just like, are you kidding me? So it's 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 funny now to think about it that I didn't know any of that news yeah. until it, it was basically live and almost happening. Yeah. And today, it would have gone out like the news would have been. Oh yeah, totally. Already out before you were even in the band. But that happened to me too a couple of years ago. We were playing in Rock and Rio in 2017, and uh, there's a guy that I did a session with in L.A. His name is John Button, bass player. And he goes, hey, man, I'm in Rio. Want to hang out? I'm like, sure, what are you doing in Rio? Oh, I'm playing, you know, rock and Rio. I'm like, with who? The who? I'm like, <laughs> oh, dude. I had no idea, but that's uh, great. Congratulations. Good news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who again? Yeah. yeah. Wow. <clears throat> well, when you talk about being the studio musician that you have been in and working your way through those rings, I always like to talk about some secret weapons that you might have because okay. I know that there's a lot of musicians that, that uh, listen to the podcast yeah. and up and coming guitar players. And I always try to maybe give you maybe one or two nuggets of information from guys like you yeah. that like what, what one secret would you sort of give someone, whether it's a technical thing on the guitar or whether it's a mental thing I'd in say, order. I'd say comedy. Yeah, if you're funny. They call you back. <laughs> yeah, they, um, gear wise. No, actually, actually, I think comedy's you good. You have to think because we talked about that before. Know. If, you know, you front your own band. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, but and, and we both front our own bands as, as well as playing for these iconic guys. Yeah, and you say that you you have the same sort of mentality as I do. Is is the space in between the songs? It should be reserved for a bit of comedy, but then not too much right right so yeah. i mean what's your what's your advice for if you're front in a band and you don't want to do the same you know same old same old in between well i think i think the plan is not to have it worked out like sometimes i'll do some i'll say something and it, i'll get a great reaction and then i'll never say it again because it's not it wasn't triggered again right you don't want it to be like Oh, I have a great comeback, but somebody's got to tell me the the right. right someone's right. got to trigger it. You want to have a whole bunch of those, but the more you do it, the more you're better on the fly, and the the, the better that you are on the flyer, the more, fly, the more content you have. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we were talking about. Basically, I think that's content. good. That's a, that that actually really <clears throat> is good. Have enough in your arsenal of lines or one-liners or sort of things that but that don't sound like the typical, you know. 
hey, how the F you doing out there? Or, yeah. you know, how's everybody feeling? I don't know how I'm feeling. Let, I'll let you know in three songs, you know, something right. like that. But have enough of those in your back pocket so that they can come out at any given time. Well, but doesn't that come through experience? It comes through experience, and you don't want to it just be the arsenal that, you know, the pocket that you always go into. You want to come up with new stuff all the time. And that always comes with being on a roll. Like... For me, it it takes a few shows to be on a roll, and then and then everything that you everything that comes out is like, well, I not only feel like I'm in an amazing band right now because we've done four shows and we're solid as fuck, right. but everything coming out of my mouth is just working. <laughs> everything? <laughs> no, I I understand that because I I've been on those on those rolls sometimes, and then then I'll say something that I go, oh, why the fuck did I say that? Well, there's always that moment, <laughs> but then you watch on YouTube the next day, and it wasn't as bad as you thought. True, that is I true. I think YouTube is an incredible, an incredible learning tool because well, when you watch YouTube of you the next day, you see what works, what doesn't work. Maybe that's you know that's like uh, professional football players and NBA players. Everybody goes, I'm gonna go look at the tape. I'm gonna go watch the tape. I'm gonna watch the tape. YouTube it's is our rock thing. and roll tape. Yeah, it's a it's, sports thing. You know, we just go because now <clears throat> we have that ability to watch the show that basically not not even the day after. It's basically the night of someone has posted up some sort of clip, and then you can actually look at the tape, review it, and say, oh, I did this pretty good, or maybe yeah. I didn't do this so well. And the thing is, when you get to a point where you do feel good about everything that you've done, you you kind of have this this cockiness that is a good cockiness, not yeah. like not not the one that's frowned upon. Like if somebody comes up to me after a drill show and they go, "Hey, you guys are pretty good," I'm like, "What fucking band were you watching? We were fucking <laughs> awesome." <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. And you have to have one to, up them. You have to own it like that. Yeah. You know? I, I always say it's, it's such a fine line: confidence and arrogance. Yeah. And always let people respect your confidence and be part of your team instead of the arrogance where they're not on your team. Right. You want people to be on your team. Yes, always, exactly. Right? So you mentioned the drills, and that is basically what we are here to talk about: is what you have going on right now along with touring with Bon Jovi, but you're able to do your own solo band. You've had this band for quite a while. Yes, um, since 2003, I think. And you are putting out your fourth album, or well, fourth release, or what is, is this? It is. It is an album um, in volumes. This is volume one that just came out May 9th. Um, but we, it's one of those things because, you know, um, 2013, I became a dad. And then again, 2016, and we started this in 2014, and then you're on John Bon Jovi Speed Dial. So right. with life stuff and the Bon Jovi stuff, yeah, it's taken. It took five years for this thing to come out, but in the meantime, we got to record a lot. So and it, there's a different drummer on every song. I was I was just gonna say, do you have a consistent lineup, and if, if you have a different drummer on every lineup, that answer is that question yeah. for drummers but do you have a, a consistent bassist or yes. are you, Dan, okay. Daniel Spree he's he's my like bass player for life okay. my left wing um, and so every time we went into the studio we took a different drummer but it wasn't even like was that conscious or did it just happen like oh okay well, I want I, I feel this song deserves this drummer well we started I was still living in LA and it was like hey I want to record the record in July and my drummer's like oh well, I just got the voice tour you know when you have a good drummer in LA they play in 10 bands they're working and you're like okay so hey I got a gig on Friday yeah I can't do it 
And then you go to big guy. I got a gig on Friday. I can't do it. You go to C guy. So all these drummers, right? But at the same time, being a session guy, I had played with some of the best drummers in the world. And you you form a camaraderie with all these individuals. And then when you're like, I'm going to record a record, I'm going to call up all my buddies and see who wants to play on the record. And... And they all said yes. Plus, there was a few people that I hadn't worked with before. Well, the good news is you're only halfway through the alphabet at this point. You know, a little <laughs> over halfway up. The, you have 14 drummers on that. So you, you have plenty more music to come out. Yeah. Um, talk to me about this new record and what someone should expect or not expect as a difference between, okay, this is Phil X playing with his own band, The Drills, and this is who I go to see Phil X when he plays in Bon Jovi. What's the right. difference between the two? The, the difference is um, I can't go full Phil X in Bon Jovi because I'm kind of, you know, John's driving. I'm in the back seat. And uh, full Phil X is a little too wacky for a bunch of a little, a little too. You're Phil half X. Yeah, Phil. Uh, <laughs> Phil three quarter X. The I don't know. Half an X is like a V. The top. Of yeah, the, then it becomes <clears throat> there's way too much algebra involved at that point. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's math. So when you, people come to see always, the drills, I always ahead. say if you know if if you're looking at a map and you got Phil, uh, say you have Richie on one side and you have me on the other side, there's a guy that shows up in the middle who is yet to be named, and he delivers every night with Bon Jovi. Now, when uh, I do the drills, it's they're my songs, my lyrics, my riffs, my stupid riffs that I, I choose to write and then sing on top of at the same time. That's doing math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. like calculus. Do you find yourself, when you write your songs, that you're the best person possible to sing those lyrics and those melodies over it that's a good question i i believe i am i i i it's because i write for my voice i write for how i play guitar um and, and the lyrics that i write i'm very tongue-in-cheek very open to interpretation um <clears throat> those are the kind of lyrics that i like when people say hey what did you mean by that line i go what did you think you know because i'd like to hear somebody else's view because that's why music's amazing you know, music is. Open I think to music interpretation. Should, exactly, yeah. and I think I think reading between the lines is really understanding your artist, the artist that you like. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> in my case, with um, the, some some people don't want to sing the lyrics that I've written because sometimes they're goofy, but at the same time, when you when you dig into the goofy, there's more of a message. Yeah, you know, like one of my the one of the examples I use. We have a song called "Kiss My Troublemaker," and you know, a lot of people would take that as a sexual uh, in your in your window. Yeah, and for me, as you read into the lyrics, it's about taking chances in life. Right. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I'm the last one to say anything. I have a song called "Smell My Finger," and that's pretty literal. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I we as far as what I can get is that I know that you you really are a big Eddie Van Halen fan, as I am. Yeah. You know, we grew up on those Van, early Van Halen records. So <clears> I, I got a bit of the guitar influence, but when you're talking about these vocal influence, lyrical influence, do you have any sort of bands or vocalists, lyricists that you have said, oh, th this is the guy? Well, not not really when I wrote for the drills because I totally believe everything's been said. So you have to kind of try to say the same things in a different way. 
So yeah. we have songs like Air Hockey Champion of the World. We have songs like I Wish My Beer Was As Cold As Your Heart. Um, those would never be Van Halen songs. Those would never be Led Zeppelin songs. You know what I mean? Right. right. So um, the drills. <clears throat> it's yeah. the drills. So I, uh, you know, one of those, some of those, these songs, like I wrote, like we, when we could get Matt Chamberlain, who's an amazing drummer. Absolutely. In the studio to come in. And I wrote a song specifically with him in mind from when we worked on somebody else's record. Matt Chamberlain is the Soundgarden, right? He, he did the last Soundgarden yeah. tour. Yeah. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and he, um, you know, he's inc an incredible musician and an incredible expressionist when it comes to drums. So he he played on the opening track, Something to Say, and it's a very incredible drum track. And then going back to Van Halen, um, because it's like <clears throat> 40 years since Van Halen won, I, I, I decided to tip my hat to Van Halen won with the song that's kind of like I'm the one-ish. Mm -hmm. And Glenn Sobel, your teammates on that track, absolutely. Yeah. And that, uh, well, that Glenn came Sobel's out. a machine. He he's incredible. Yeah. He's incredible too. Yeah. Well, with all these drummers to choose from, you, you do have you know your your bass player for life, as you <clears> mentioned. <throat> but when you do this live, how are you going to choose which drummer to tour with, and who will you tour with? No, it's the guy who does the job. Yeah, the guy who's available. <laughs> the guy who does it. Like for instance, it was um, Brent Fitz has been doing a lot of gigs with us, and he's yeah. out with Slash. So he couldn't do our four promo shows. And Dan had been playing with uh, <clears throat> um, Mike Dubke with another artist named Mark Zavon in, in L.A. And he's like, well, if nobody can do it, let's get uh, Dubke. And I'm like, okay. So Mike came in and uh, learned our 90-minute set. And it was fun. He did great. This podcast is great because we've dropped so many names that we're going to have so many tags on the actual description of the podcast that it's if every single tags. well, I'm telling you, if everybody that's been mentioned in this podcast just tells two friends, this will go viral at this right. point. You know, especially if you start getting into the point of you know slash featuring Miles Kennedy uh, <laughs> and co-starring co the conspirators sponsored right. by Coca-Cola. <laughs> I was waiting for how many bands we can fit under, how many right. sort of names we can just keep extending it and extending it. And then the lineup thing went went a little further. As I I had uh, recorded a couple of projects with Abe Laboreal Jr., um, Paul McCartney's drummer, of course. and he's not only an incredible uh, drummer, feel groove guy, but he's such an amazing person. And um, so when you hit it off and you want to make some music and you bring him into the studio, like I, I, you know, from my YouTube demographic regarding guitar demos and stuff, I always had people were like, hey, how come you don't, why don't you record a blues tune? You know, and I'm like generally not a blue guy, so yeah. I'm not into that much blues, but I could go down the <clears throat> Zeppelin blues vibe. Absolutely. So I got Abe to play on this song and I opened it up with uh, me and my guitar singing and then... I go, you know, it'd be a good song for a, a guest vocalist. You got a good range, though, your style of range, because I think part of that whole studio musician being hired as a producer, he's my guy. Yeah. You did have to learn a bunch of different styles. Maybe you didn't master the blues, but you could definitely yeah, play I mean, some. You know? you know, you become a chameleon, yeah, right? Yeah. But in this case... I wanted my licks to be different. So it's not like you hear a lot of blues players and they're just regurgitating all the same blues licks. And I got I got a little Greek, a couple of Greek bazooki things going on. I have a couple of Indianish uh, 
droney things going on in the solo. I just, I wanted it to be different. And just to take it to another level, I got Doug Pinnock from King's X to come in wow. and, and sing You just keep dropping verses. these names that are, are just like mm. monumental guys and really influential players. I, it's, yeah. it's cool to be to have that association. That pretty much is, you are the definition of in the trenches of rock and roll because you have worked with so many of these talented musicians. And a lot of people think as you've recorded on so many different tracks, you haven't jammed like face to face with a lot of them because when you come into the studio a lot of times the track is already done and you're just playing guitar over there yeah. but is there any live guys that like because you've been you've mentioned so many big <clears throat> names so far is there any live guys that you'd say wow i jammed with him and that was special i mean everybody was special i mean and, and like i said i had worked with these guys in the studio before so dan my left wing bass player yeah um bass player for life he you know, he hadn't worked with these guys before. So one day he's in the studio with Taylor Hawkins. And then... Taylor couple, Hawkins, drummer of Foo, Foo Fighters. Fighters. And yeah. then the next... And being a huge Motley Crue fan, now we're in the studio with Tommy Lee. And Kasami's on on volume two. And and me, I had already worked on all of Tommy's solo records. So And I actually did some uh, shows, some TV shows with him when, when uh, Tommy Land came out. So I had, you know, it's it's just hanging out with a buddy. But Dan's in there going, "Oh my God, I'm playing bass and Tommy Lee's playing drums. This yeah. is crazy." And then he told me the next day. He, you know, he comes in. He goes, "I got to tell you, that was that was pretty surreal." He composed. Go, he he stayed composed. He stayed composed. Yeah, I I've pretty much been able to stay composed pretty much with most of my heroes that I've met or played guitar with. But yeah. one guy I lost it a little bit. I think was Brian May. When he played my guitar at a jam, That's and it was like awesome. you know, I, I took off my guitar and gave it to him, and yeah. Brian played it, and I went, "Oh my God, Brian Mays played my guitar! Yeah. I'll never wash that guitar again." <laughs> but are, are, are there any guys that that you have <clears throat> that you know you haven't been able to keep your composure? Like, have you met Eddie? I've met Eddie a couple of times, okay. and that's that's one of those things where, I mean, he meets so many people. Like, I doubt he remembers. Yeah. You know, like, but it's nice to get um, an endorsement. So when I met Eddie like the third time, Ross Hogarth, who had produced, um, no, he had mixed the last Van Halen record. Right. He called me over at the uh, Roxy and he said, hey, um, Ed, this is my buddy Phil X. When he moved to LA, he slept on my couch and now he plays on guitar on everybody's records. So it was kind of nice, you know. That's, that's the perfect endorsement. Yeah. So when Eddie, yeah. when I shook my hand, he, I got that Eddie Van Halen smile, and, and then I put my hand in my pocket, and nobody else shook it the rest of the night. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. Now I can only think that Phil X came as an abbreviation of your really super long Greek name. Yeah, Exenides. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, so mine. I kind of tell people that it's it's abbreviation of my Polish name, even though my wife always says it is not. It is definitely not Ryan. You just, but but I started calling myself Ryan Roxy when I was in fifth grade, sixth wow, grade. Really, something was really young because I I didn't really have a backup plan. Wait, <clears throat> even back then, wow. I was just you know gonna do it. So when did you start calling yourself Phil X? I think I was like nineteen or twenty. Okay. Um. I was playing Frozen Ghost, the Canadian band. Yes. And uh, that was the first big record that I played on. And they're like, you really want to go with Phil Exenides for the uh, guitar spot? And I'm like, I'm thinking about that. I think I want to go with Phil X. 
And they're like, well, that's cool. Let's do that. But then you have... You don't want to be confused with Madam X at that time. Or Malcolm, right? (laughs) But it's it's one of those... Yeah, Madam X. Which is where the the record... We didn't even talk about that. The record is called Stupid Good Lookings, which is from... The, I mean, Madam X from the Flintstones. Oh, wow. wow. There's no tattoos of that on you, is there? No, no, because okay. it's brand new. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where even now when people, like I, when I did the Dot You record, which was a, uh, a staple record for me in 2005. No, six. 2006, I did all the guitars on the first Dot you record and it became a calling card. Like everybody was like, get that guy who did the Dot you record. And then one guy was like, uh, "Hi, I'm I'm contacting about working on a record, and uh, does this Phil X guy actually exist? Is that a real name?" Is, <laughs> and I'm like, "What do you think? It's the coffee guy, he's and a he's, legend. he's playing guitar as on a you know a the milk. legend of Phil X." So it was kind of funny. But wait, I want to I want to go back to one more thing about a hero, because uh, be- before Steve Lukather became a pal, he came to see the drills at the Roxy years ago. And it was, and you're you're playing, and you're looking in the audience, and you see Steve Lukather, and you're like, "Holy fuck, it's Steve Lukather!" Yeah, right. And then Toto. It's I mean all the I know some of your favorite solos of your life. Absolutely, or or my favorite <clears throat> one songs. of my favorite chord progression. Hold the line to me to this day. Simplest yeah. chord progression, but so effective. Effective. Same. It's the same yeah. chord progression back. So, so what did he say? Well, no. The first thing is, is, not only is he standing in front of me, but he gets closer when I play a solo. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, dude, you're freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> but then we find. See, I'd, I'd known uh, Trevor, his son, for years because he yeah. used to sneak into the cat club to see the drills um, with the fake ID. At the cat club, and this is how it comes full circle because I used to play at the cat club and, and with the Starfuckers, and you right. would open up the show. Right. But that was before we, we were kind of bros. Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's a small world. It all leads to good places. It does. Um, it does. And then so and then when we finally were talking outside, he, he literally took a lick, a Phil X lick in his memory and said, hey, you did this one lick where your hand was going one way, but it sounded like it was going the other way. And I'm like... You're fucking Steve Lukather. there. What? <laughs> you show me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty amazing. And then and then you, we became pals after that. And then he uh, he just explained he explained to me what, what he actually liked about me, which was really amazing. You know, like he liked my recklessness and and he was at the time he was like, you know, I, I don't I feel like I've lost my recklessness and I'm like, okay, let's talk about you. <laughs> Well, you, I saw you at the baked potato last week. You're yeah. fucking reckless. You are Amazing. definitely reckless. Yeah, I think what he, what he, he might have lost his reckless. He had made up for in recklessness yes. over two decades at least. But his, his playing is just so still. Like I, you know, um, and I think he took it to heart when I said, "Look, I saw you play at the baked potato, and it made me go home and practice." <laughs> he played on from the, you know, like, that's the one good thing about playing with Alice Cooper, is that. Because you might not get in the John Bon Jovi band because John Bon Jovi had Richie for so many years. So yes. you're learning a lot of Richie's parts. But Alice, with all his different lineups totally. and all his iconic lineups, so his Hunter Wagner or his, the original lineup or 
Steve Lukather played on the From the Inside album. So right. I've been able to learn his parts yeah. as well. And it which all comes full circle. I, I've learned your parts on Brutal Planet yeah. when you did that album. So, I mean, maybe that is what differentiates ourselves. But if, and don't take this as a diss at all, because I think it's a huge compliment. I am looking at you now as a drummer's guitar player in the sense of, you know how drummers always go out to lunch and hang out and are bros and buds? <laughs> Yeah. Guitar players aren't usually like that. Guitar players usually have that little, like, like they, 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 they're kind of looking under their their glasses or kind of going, what, what lick is that? I, I want to learn that lick. Right. But you have a way of making people want to be on your team and, and you, you are a good hang. Like I want to go out to lunch, which we're probably going to go out to lunch right. after, right after we finish this. Yeah. And I'm actually considering being, having like guitar luncheons like the way drummers do every single week. Right. <laughs> so if we can ever organize it that uh, you're in town again, yeah. we, we can actually go out to lunch. Or when we meet up somewhere on the road uh, in, sometime in 2019, we'll, our paths will cross. But Probably, it, yeah. But this is like, it, it's, it's a compliment because I, I, I don't think of every guitar player being as sort of open and friendly and, you know, I don't know, positive. Well, thank you. It's a good thing. I uh, I think it's a good thing. I, I I grew up. I think we all grew up in guitar circles, you know. And then um, everybody that went to this high school and everybody went to another high school. And say you got the hot shot of each high school, right? Um, <clears throat> and they're content being the hot shot at high school. I was never content. I just busted my ass and busted my ass and busted my ass. So when all the hot shots got together, they were like, what's that? And what's that? And what, what are you doing there? And oh my God, where'd you get that picking? And I go, well, I, you know, I, I'm not afraid to say I've been taking bazooki lessons. Right. Because that's from your Greek background. That's yes, from your dad, right? Bazooki. Yeah. My yeah. dad played bazooki. I play, I don't play as good as I did, but it definitely gave me an articulation that was, um, was not evident in all the other hot shots. Like it just added this thing because there's no room for error. There's no distortion. You're not cranking through a Marshall. It's a double. It's a paired string instrument, like a twelve string, but eight, and you're shredding on it, and it will clean amp. So if you if you're sloppy, so you could actually sloppy. play that cigar four string thing. I bet you could totally riff I on it. Probably could do something on it. <laughs> well, which leads me <clears throat> to like. Probably we'll, we'll round it up as far as equipment because I know that there's some people listening out there that really want to hear about okay. the equipment aspect of stuff. And I know that you've been working closely with some companies over the years. Yeah. What's your go-to guitar company, your go-to amp company, and is it does it differentiate from Bon Jovi or your solo stuff with the drills? Well, it's Framus is a company I've been with since 2014, and um, they basically made my they built my dream guitar. Like I love. A P90 in a slab of mahogany, and I love the SG shape, but I'm a bigger guy, so it seems like a toy sometimes. It's a little thin, so they went a little fatter with like a, wow. a an SG type shape, made it a little more asymmetrical, so it wasn't a complete knockoff. Right. And I love a, a fat neck, which is 58 style. 
a little wider at the nut for the D. A Gibson 58 style baseball bat and yeah. sort of big but a little, feel. A little wider at the nut so my fingers don't feel cramped when I play a D chord. <laughs> <laughs> but well, when someone's making you a guitar and you're going, you know, I wish my fingers weren't cramped when I made it play the D chord and they, they'll perfect. go... Yeah. They made a, they made my dream guitar in a couple of days when I was at the factory, actually. And so you've been with them since 2014. Yes. How do you get around the, the uh, hum of the single coil P90? Um, which, is, which is a really good question and uh, one asked a lot. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a weird animal to tame. I usually don't have a problem because I don't use that much gain. If people are like, man, I got two overdrives on and my Marshall's cranked and I can't get rid of the... I'm like... You're not going to get rid of it. It's just going to happen. Yeah, so I, I love setting my amps on around in the in the vicinity of Malcolm Young. Mm -hmm. And with this overdrive, I can do like... A, it's moving air, that Malcolm Young yeah. sort of <clears throat> moving air tone. Not very distorted, but rock and roll. Right. And then with, uh, I get, uh, with one pedal, if we're doing a country tune and I got a lower output pickup, I put in this overdrive and I get the country solo to sing and it's awesome but when we do raise your hands or you give love a bad name i got this pedal on so and i, I fluctuate like i did do a a, a, a a custom signature pedal with a company in italy called laa custom but okay. we're still kind of tweaking it right um because <clears throat> the prototype was on my my bon jovi board and and then I had to send it back to him to like do bon jovi boards tweaks. different from your club rig your your yeah. drills board well because i don't when you I when I'm singing, I don't want a lot of stuff at my feet. You know what I mean. So yeah, I have a tuner, two different overdrives, <laughs> exactly. And I use an AB box because I always run two amps, a big amp and a little amp. My big amp is the Friedman okay. X signature, and um, I, I I've been loving the stuff that Supro has been putting out lately. So they have a little Supro sixteen oh six, an eight watch eight. You know, it's five watts with an eight inch speaker. And then there's another company called Greer, and they make a little three watt amp. All right. And I run that into the Supro 8-inch speaker. So the the last swing that I did with, with the drills, it was the Friedman into a 412, and then this little amp on top. And every sound guy's like, wow, that that little, that big amp sounds amazing. What, what are you doing with the little one? And I go, and then I, I play it by itself. And then and they're like, yeah, no big deal. But then you blend the two together. That's your sound. And it's like every sound guy goes, holy shit. Because okay. I feel like a 412 cabinet is kind of missing a specific mid-range. And, and you found it with this The little amp. amps okay. fill the gap. Well, I'll, <clears throat> I'll put the uh, links to those companies all in the description. It's going to be the longest description. I, I, it's going to have to go behind <laughs> all the names that we've dropped first and then the, then the company <laughs> and then the, descriptions. The yeah. <laughs> well, are you... Tell me one last time about The Drill's newest record. Where can we all listen to it? Where can people find it? And what's the best way to get in touch with you? It's it's Phil, Phil X and The Drill's uh, Stupid Good Lookings. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. It's on, on all the stores. It's on Spotify. And there will be, if you follow me on Twitter, which is The Real Phil X or Phil X 1111 on Instagram, I'll be, I'll be announcing a retail store. Where some of the merch from the the tour, the four, four promo shows is and the CD, and uh, it's funny because I had uh, I had a, a Japanese fan come to the drill shows in California, right? And um, and she's also she also helps out my fan 
Phil X Band Club, and Stefania is in Italy, and they all form this group of Phil X bands, and they post stuff that I don't even know where they get. I don't know how they get it before I even walk off the stage. There's a video. God bless them. God bless them for an that. Incredible, an incredible situation that to, to, to have and to be in. And Mamiko, she's she came from Japan, and she literally she goes, I should take some CDs to Stefania so she can sell them on the Bon Jovi tour and I gave her a hundred CDs <laughs> <laughs> and in Russia our first show our first city she goes yeah. Stefania's like here's the money for the CDs I, I sold them all wow and I'm like maybe she should just be your label <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Stefania Records <laughs> maybe that's I get it man Stefania Re- maybe I, that's it I want to get signed to Stefania <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I love the fact that you seem to have a very close relationship with your with your fans as well. And like I say, hopefully this podcast and being in the trenches will actually give some of the people that listen to me, turn you on to Phil X and then vice versa. And we find out about each other's worlds because that's, you know, what, one hand washes the other, both hands wash the feet. Isn't that what they say? <laughs> Some old saying. My, my my old roommate used to say that, and he literally while Where washing his feet. Where the hell was he from? I never heard that before. He's Italian, but he actually lives in uh, Greece now. Wow. How about that? Yeah. That's that is shout out to weeds. So anyhow, um, I really appreciate you being down here in the trenches with me, and me, uh, it's been a great talk. I will look forward to seeing you in the future, not just with Bon Jovi, but I'm going to make it out to a drills show at one point. And who knows when we team up together and Ryan Roxy and the drills do some sort of tour. I mean, you have, what was the song? Uh, Air Hockey? Air Hockey Champion of the World. And I have a song called Ping Pong Heroes. Get so, out. So that, what? It's I have a song called Smell My Finger. You have a song called Kiss, Kiss My Trouble in the There you go. Oh my God. Who put... My That's peanut like butter in your chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But it's been great having you on Phil X. Uh, everybody go check out Phil X of, uh, and the drills and, of course, a Bon Jovi concert near you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast of In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Uh, any parting words, my friend? This has been great, man. Thank you. It's been really awesome. Now you have only have like 10 more interviews to go and you're done. <laughs> Thanks again, Phil. Cheers. See see you, buddy. Have a good one. You too. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy.